and open in prayer, and then we'll be in Philippians chapter 4. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask that you guide and lead as we look at this section of scripture and that you will show us what you would want us to see from this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 9. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care for, for me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. For I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Where, everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Last week, we looked at the verses, the, the one verse, and we talked about this is your power verses. If you could start thinking on the right things, you would be able to know how to live properly, and your life would be a lot smoother because you'd be thinking on the good things. This week, we're looking at, Paul starts out, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. You know, one of the things that I think about oftentimes in Christianity, I've been walking with God for, you know, 46 years now, and I have watched people who have learned a lot of things about God. They come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They do their own Bible reading and, what, and all of that. They listen to maybe pastors on the radio and everything. And then they don't apply what they learn. You know, it's a pretty bad thing, and I've seen it over and over, where people know a lot. Well, you know that God says don't do something, so why do you do it? Well, I don't know. I just kind of found myself doing it. <laughs> now, God says tell the truth. Why were you lying? Well, I don't know. It just seemed like the right thing to do at that time. God says don't get divorced, so why do you do it? Well, it seemed like the best thing to do at the time. You know, how many times do we live our life and we don't do what we know we're supposed to do? And then you come along and somebody goes, well, you know, I really messed up my life by not following God. Now how do I get it back in place? Well, the easy way would be go back in time and start all over and do it the right way. But let's go from this point forward and do what God tells you to do. But, you know, we spend much of our lifetime trying to get over the problems that we caused by not being obedient to God in the first place. Yeah. You know, talked to many teenagers over my lifetime and says, well, I, I think God wants me to get married to this person. I know they're not saved, but I think I can lead them to Christ. God says don't get married to them. And you end up getting married to them, and then they're griping, about, griping a couple years later about all the problems in their life because they're married to a non-believer and doesn't want to go to church. Well, if you had just listened to the advice in the first place and done what God said in the first place, you wouldn't be having these problems. Now you have to be doing your leadership or submission, whichever side of the coin you're on, and trying to do what's right from this point forward. But Paul's encouraging the Philippians, you've learned, now do. <laughs> now do what it is you've been told to do. And, you know, it's kind of funny, you know, when we're raising our kids, we tell them not to lie. It's uh, you know, always better to tell the truth. But how many times then do we lie as adults to try to stay out of trouble? Now, same reason the kids do it. <laughs> Trying to stay out of trouble, and we teach them, no, you're going to be in less trouble by telling the truth, and yet we will tell, the, tell lies oftentimes to stay out of, try to stay out of trouble. No, officer, I have no idea that I was going 99 miles an hour on this road. 
You know, why'd you ask? <laughs> you know, but you know, we look at this and we go, Paul is saying, do. Do what it is you've learned to do. Just filling ourselves with a whole bunch of knowledge is not a, doesn't do us a bit of good. You can study a book on engineering all your entire life. You could know everything there was to know about engineering, but until you actually get out and do something, you don't know whether you know anything. Uh, I've, I've tried to do car repair work from books. You know, got it done. You know, it only took about a week or two to get it done, but I got it done eventually. A lot of mistrial and mis mistakes and problems. But you know, God tells us to do something. We were talking earlier about going out and sharing the gospel. We're told to do it, and yet how many of us actually spend time sharing the gospel with people? And that doesn't mean just say, well, do you go to church? That's a good starting place, you know, do you go to church? You know, uh, you know, line that we use a lot, that I use a lot to get started in conversation, where do, you, where do you think happens after you die? Or how do you get to heaven? But you know, that's not, asking that question isn't sharing the gospel. You know, I know one person, she, she would tell you, she shares the gospel a lot. She asked people where they go to church and recommended church to them. Well, that's a good first step, but that's not sharing the gospel. The gospel message is you're a sinner, you deserve hell, and Jesus paid for the sin. Do you want to accept him? And we've got to get to the gospel. But God is also saying, beyond just sharing the gospel, are we living for him in every part of our life? Every part of our life. He says to trust him. How many of us trust, really trust God in every aspect of our life? You know, every aspect. Something seems to be going wrong in your life. Is it, it's a pretty tough time to trust God, isn't it? If you don't truly trust him. God, I don't know why I'm laying in this hospital bed looking at the ceiling where I can't seem to move because they've got me bound up in this full body cast <laughs> because I was driving 100 miles an hour down the road and hit a slick spot. <laughs> you know, but you know, God has a reason for it. He has a reason for it. And we just need to say, God, I may not understand the reason, but you're going to show it to me. But the thing is, Paul is telling the people, what you've heard, what you've done, what you've learned, do. And then he says, and may the God of peace, and the God of peace shall be with you. You know, when you're being obedient to God, it really isn't that hard in one sense, because you're just trusting in God to do it. When you're opening your mouth to share the gospel, the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to speak for you. When you're doing what he says, you're saying, God, I'm going to put my trust in you. Yeah. And I was listening on the radio, and the guy kind of you know, told my wife, he stole my message, but <laughs> you know, he was talking about how when you're in the middle of a test, the teacher is silent. You know, and people will always complain, and you've, if you haven't been there, you will be at some point, where you go, God, I just can't hear you. I've got big decisions to make, and I've got great, great big test in front of me. Why can't I hear you? My answer to the guys at the, at the prison when they go, well, can you give me the answers to the test? I go, it's not a test to see what I know. It's a test to see what you know. I know the answers. I don't need to be tested on this test. God, when he puts us in a test, is saying, I want to know, or actually he wants you to know <laughs> what you know. Because he already knows what you know. You know. Have you ever thought about that? God's reason for testing us is not so that he will know what you know. It's so that we will know. 
God, I know that you tell me not to be unequally yoked, so he'll let us go into a situation where we're challenging ourselves. Are we going to be obedient? God, I want to go into business, and this guy's got the money. He's not a Christian. But I want to go into business with this person. Have you ever thought about business being unequally yoked is just as bad as being married to somebody unequally yoked? You want to run a business of integrity and honesty, and they're going, well, we can cut the corners here. We can, we can cut this corner. We can, we can lie in our advertising and get people to buy our product. And God says, no, I want you to do it through integrity. And you should go, God, I'll never have the money to put, go into business without this guy. We need to, that's a test. Will we trust God? How much will we trust him? And he will be silent when you're in the middle of the test because he wants you to trust in what you know. And whatever that test might be, I'm just using a couple of them, but you can fill in your blank or whatever test you're running into. And there are those times when you're praying and you're seeking God and it seems like he's just not there. And you know what? He is there. He's just not answering it because it's a test. What did he do to Job? You know, Job got his three wonderful friends, actually four with the extra guy that they threw at the very end. For the whole book, Job's complaining, I just want God to talk to me. I just want God to talk to me, the whole book. And God speaks to him at the end. And basically says, Job, you've been full of a lot of of lousy lousy conversation. Now I'm going to talk to you. And he asks him a whole series of questions. Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did this? Okay. And he talks to him in a very hard way, but he's trying to teach him. Be silent when you're supposed to be silent and talk when you're supposed to talk. Have you ever spent time trying to talk to somebody about Christianity when it wasn't the right time to talk? And it was just you talking to them and not God talking through you? Been there, done that? Doesn't go very, doesn't go very well. There's times when we need to be quiet. There's times when we need to talk. There's times when we need to be standing up and times when we don't need to stand up and we need to learn the difference then Paul goes on and says but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last my your care for me has flourished again wherein you were careful but you lacked opportunity Paul's basically at this point telling them thank you they'd sent a gift to him and Paul was a missionary and I don't know if you've ever talked to missionaries but one of the things that most missionaries have is they get out there and they're waiting to hope that checks come in the mail or money comes in the mail to them. Uh, now, Southern Baptist missionaries don't have that problem because we, as churches, give to the Lottie Moon and the, and, the, and the foreign missions, and they get a check right from the Southern Baptist Convention. We're the only denomination that has that process. All the rest of them, they have to go and visit. They come back every three, four, five years. They go around all the churches, visit them, and, and basically beg for gifts. You know, would you please give me money every month? Then they go on the mission field and hope that the churches remember to give them their money. And oftentimes churches forget to give them their money. And they're out there without money. Paul was out there. He didn't even have the pledges. He was just getting gifts every once in a while. And he says, you have given me a gift. And he says, you've lacked the opportunity. You weren't able to do it before. Now you're able to do that. And then in verse 11, he goes, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. Have you learned to be content no matter what? Isn't it hard to be content? God, I don't have enough money. God, I don't have enough money. You know, the kind of strange thing is, 
what is enough money? <laughs> Especially here in America. You know, what is enough money? Can't remember which of the rich guys was asked, but he said, how much money is enough? And he says, just a little more. <laughs> now, he had more money than he'd ever spend in his lifetime, and his kids could spend in their lifetime, than just a little bit more. Every time your pay goes up, you get a better job, you end up spending more money. It just acts, you know, you were happy and content with what you had, and now you need more. You get a better car, better house, better, better furniture, better TV, whatever it might be. <laughs> Why? Because we're not usually content. We're not fully content. And Paul is saying, I've learned in whatsoever state to be content. That's quite a statement. Because you've got to think about this. We've told you right now Paul is in prison. He's got a guard chained to, chained to him. And he says, I'm content. Now we talked about that. What, what, what fun it was for Paul. He had a captive audience. No matter who he was talking to, he had a captive audience to be able to have to hear the gospel message as he's preaching. As he's telling people about being content, as he's telling people that he's knowing he's got this captive audience that's chained to him for four hours at a time. You know, almost feel sorry for the soldiers, but they got to hear the gospel. <laughs> but he says, I've learned to be content. Have we learned to be content? You know, pretty interesting question when you think about it. If God took everything that you have away from you right now, would you be content with where he placed you? In America, that's a pretty tough question because we're, we're not content if we don't have our big house, our, our, our electricity, our phones, and uh, three, three meals a day, and all the stuff that we have as Americans. If you go to the rest of the world, most of the world is happy to have a, a scoop of rice in the morning for breakfast and maybe rice and, and one other and a vegetable or something at night, and they're content. They, they, they are happy with what they get. How many Americans would be happy if that was your two meals a day, two scoops of rice and a, and a serving of vegetables? Now, I like my meat. <laughs> you know, I, I like my meals. It's, it's quite obvious when, how big I am. I love my, my meals. But you know, we have a very strange definition of what it takes to be content in America. You know, and I remember many places in Guam where people were living in corrugated uh, tin huts. That was their homes. And it's worse in other places. And yet we feel if we don't have our nice big bedroom with the TV in each room and all that, then we're just, we were suffering. What does it take for us to be content? What, what are we willing to be content with? And Paul has said, I have learned to be content. This is a man who kept getting shipwrecked. And I said he was in the water three times. Uh, you know, been stoned, been persecuted. Had times when he had nothing except what God gave him for each of those days. Look at somebody like David running from Saul most of his life. You know, how much can you have when you have to be able to run every time you turn around because the soldiers were outside your doors? You didn't, you didn't keep a lot. And David usually seemed to be fairly content. Griped about having to run from Saul, but he was generally content. In verse 12 it says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He says, I know what it is to be of nothing 
and I know what it is like to have everything. I'm content. And I love this one that says, I have learned. You know, where everywhere and in all things I am instructed, excuse me, instructed. And this is to be fully taught. You know, God fully teaches us our, our, our lessons. And I'm kind of amazed as I go through the Bible how patient God is. He keeps repeating the same lessons, oftentimes in the same book, but definitely throughout the Bible. You know, you go through the Pentateuch, Exodus is the same lesson over and over and over and over and over and over again. You get to Deuteronomy, and he keeps teaching the same lesson over and over and over and over again. But you know, it's the same lesson in all the other books. You all aren't following me. Get right, get following me, and I'm going to give you mercy and grace. How patient is God? How quick, and how quick are we to judge when somebody doesn't immediately respond to what we want them to do or what we think God wants them to do? Well, this person's just never going to learn. I'm going to no longer talk to them anymore because they're just a slow learner. You know what? I praise God. I, God never gave up on me because I've always been a slow learner when it comes to God's ways of doing things. Getting faster in my older age as I've learned to listen more but when I was young, I, he had to beat me over the head with, you know, an 8 by 8 not even a 2 by 4 an 8 by 8 You know, he had to really pound on me to get my attention sometimes because I was too busy. I was doing my own thing. And I know I'm not the only one out there that needs the, the great big pounding to, to be got their attention. But, you know, as we get more mature with them, we get like Paul and say, God, I am just, I want to listen. I want to be content. I want to follow you, and I want to do it quickly. I can tell you it's more fun to do it quicker than to have God put you through the headaches and the, and the hardships of going slow. It is a lot more fun. And I'd like to get even quicker. Yeah. A recent event, God said, I want you to do some, you know, do I really believe something? And I said, okay, God, what, what, what do you want? I don't think I've ever really gone that fast. Five-minute five lesson was a pretty quick lesson. But, you know, God is saying when he tells you to do something, he wants us to say, okay, God, how much? How, how much? How, how, how am I going to do this? How, what, what, what exactly do you require of me? And be responsive to him. Most of us are saying, well, God, I didn't hear that whisper. Because he always starts out with a whisper. Just a quiet voice. But you know, if he has to get to the time when he's talking to Job out of the whirlwind. <laughs> All right, Job, do I have your attention now? <laughs> you weren't listening to my still, small voice uh, do, you, do I have your attention now? Do I have your attention now that I've got you in the hospital room with your, on your back? Are you, are you ready now to listen? Okay, I took your job away from you. You're about ready to lose your house. Are you ready to listen? What does it take to get for you to listen to God? What does he have to do to say, I want your attention? Now, and most of us here have had kids. You know, Have you ever been talking to your kid and you know they're not listening to you? You just know they're not listening to you because their eyes are rolled back in their head and it's very obvious that they don't, have a, they don't want to listen to you at all. How often do we do that to God? <laughs> all right, God, I, you know, that pastor is meddling now. He gave me a message that you've been trying to get, to my, get through my head. You know, amazing thing is, if you don't listen to God, you'll start hearing every single lesson seem to be what it is that God's trying to teach you. Have you ever had that experience? You, know, you listen to the radio and all the pastors are talking about the same thing that week. And it's just what it is that God's been trying to teach you. 
you know, it's an amazing thing that God will do and orchestrate what it takes to get you to listen. And Paul says, I've been instructed both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. Do you realize that part of our instruction sometimes is to suffer? Why? God's trying to teach us something in suffering. God has never promised us that we will always be healthy, wealthy, and wise. <laughs> There's no promise in the Bible there. There are many people who believe there is. But he's never promised us everything's going to be good. Never. Matter of fact, he's full of promises that bad things are going to happen. Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. He suffered, you're going to suffer. Why? Because he wants our trust to be in him. When everything is going really good, you know, what? one of the things about everything going good is a real easy time to walk away from God. You know, God, I, I don't really need you. Everything is going really wonderful. I've got a nice job. I've got a good paycheck. I'm able to pay my tithe. As a matter of fact, God, I'm up to 30 or 40% on, and I'm still doing well. I don't need you. Uh, I've got, my, got all my toys. I've got the quad in my garage, and I've got the summer house up on the hill, and I've got the... The, the house on the, on the beach. God, you just stay there. We're, we're doing okay. How easy is it to walk away from God when everything seems to be going good? Because we lose our sense of need. Oftentimes, God's going to put us in need so that we'll turn to him. Is there anything wrong with all that stuff? Not necessarily, but if it takes you away from God, it's bad. If you can have all that stuff and stay faithful to God, then he'll let you keep the stuff, no problem. But if you turn away from him, he's going to say, oh, you want to trust in your stuff? Let me take your stuff away. Now, how many of us disciplined our kids by taking stuff away? Now, there's, there's all kinds of comedians that talk about kids. Uh, go to your bedroom. <laughs> you know, and their bedroom has everything they ever wanted to have in their bedroom. You'd be better off saying, stay here with us. <laughs> No, not that, anything but that. <laughs> God will take away what it ta takes to draw us to him. It might be our stuff. It might be our health. It might be our jobs. But if we're starting to trust in anything but him, he's going to take away what we're trusting in. And Paul says, I've learned. I have learned to abound and to suffer need. When we're going through things, it's very important for us. And I've told you, one of my, the two things that I love to think about when, my, when things seem to be going bad is all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God and that God is sovereign. Nothing that happens to us was unknown to God. Get hold of that thought. Nothing that happens to you was unexpected to God. God is not up in heaven saying, oh my goodness, what happened to my child? I did not know that that was going to happen. He's never going to say that. He's never going to be in a place where he goes, I just didn't know that was going to happen. We may not like what we're going through. We may think it's totally, be, totally the worst thing that could ever possibly happen. But God is trying to teach us something through it. And we need to go, okay, God, don't understand it, but you said it's going to be for good and you're in control, so I'm just going to ride through the storm with you. And it makes things a lot more peaceful, a lot more easy to get through. Because you just look and say, God, you're in control. I love the fact that God is in control. It gives me so much confidence when I go through things that God is in control. 
No matter how bad it seems to me, no matter how hard things seem, God is in control. You know, and there's a this statement that God is good and all the time God is good. Okay? Keep that in mind. When you're tempted to believe that God has lost his mind and he's out of control, just remember that he is good all the time. All the time God is good. When everything seems to be going wrong and it seems like hell is attacking you, God is good and he has a plan and he will work it out for good. You know, if you can grab those truths and hold on to them in everything that happens in your life, you're going to have a pretty good life with God because you're going to be at peace. Doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. Doesn't mean everything will even be good by your standards, but you will be at peace and walking through it all. And the last thing, verse I want to look at is, I can do all things. Don't stop at that place because it isn't that we can do all things. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. With Christ. Through Christ. Do you realize there is nothing in your life that you can't handle? In Corinthians, we're told there hath nothing overtaken you, but it's such as is common to man. Satan's lie to us is, you're just so terrible. Nobody has ever gone through what you're going through. When you hear your, that in your brain, be ready and say, it's all common to man. Or you could go to Ecclesiastes and say, there's nothing new under the sun. Anytime you're going through something, you are not the only person who's ever gone through it. And matter of fact, you're not the only person currently going through it. What's really funny is you think so bad, you think that you're having something that nobody else has gone through, and finally you come out at the end of the tunnel, and you use it in your testimony one day, and you find out that half the people in the room have gone through exactly what you just went through. And if you'd have known that when you were going through, it would have been a lot easier. And you should have known it because the Bible tells you it's true. There's nothing that you go through that is just you. But Satan likes to make us ashamed and say, well, you're just such a terrible sinner. How could you even think that kind of a thought? You know, nobody ever has the, those thoughts. Nobody ever has done what you have done. And then you find out that everybody has, most people have, large majority have. Don't buy into the lie of Satan that you are so bad that you are the only one that's ever had those kind of temptations. They're not abnormal to you. And it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When God asks you to do something, he's going to give you the strength to do it. And I've always thought, you know, would I have the strength to face a machine gun if somebody says, confess Jesus and die with this machine gun or not? I would like to think that I could. But you know, on one side, I do know that I can because if God puts me through it, he's going to give me the grace and the strength to do it. May not be able to do it in my flesh, but he can make the provision through his strength. His strength, he dwells in us and he comes out of us. When it's time to witness, and it's so scary to witness to that person, it's him that comes out of you and you do it in his strength. When it's time to tell the truth that is going to get you into a lot of trouble, you tell the truth because he says to do it, and you let his strength be the one that does it. When you're being tempted to commit adultery or fornication, you let God's strength come out of you and say, no, we're not going to do this because God, 
I'm not, I'm going to walk in your strength. Whatever that sin might be, he gives you the strength to get it out. Whatever the activity he asks you to do, he gives you the strength to follow. We look at somebody like Moses. Now, how would you like to have had Moses' job? Lead three and a half million people that all they ever did was gripe. <laughs> now, we're hungry, we're thirsty, it's hot out here, we're lost. Uh, you know, when are we going to get to this land that you told us we're going to? You know, guys put all these rules on us and, you know, we don't want them. You know, hey, you know, we're tired of this manna that God gives us every morning. We want, we want to have onions and, and, and cucumbers. Uh, you, know, hey, you know, we want some meat. You know, you're, we haven't had meat in a long time. You know, how would you like to have had that? And God gave him the strength to get through it all. Joshua leads the people into the promised land and they're going to be at war his entire life. They're going to be at war taking the promised land. How would you like that? Your whole life is all, around, all about war, never any peace. You're going from one battle to the next battle. Now remember, Joshua's not a young man. He's been in the wilderness 40 years wandering around with the people, and he was the general when the starting at the 40 years, so he had to have been 20 or 30 years to begin with. So when he goes into the promised land, he's 60 or 70 years old. And he's going to spend the rest of his years in battles. Another 50 to 60 years that he's going to be in battles at war. He spends his entire life doing nothing but fighting. So, you know, what has God called you to do? He's going to give you the strength to do it. Most of us aren't going to be called to go into battle every day of the week for all of our life. But we may be in spiritual battles. We may be in a place where we're just talk to people frequently about God, where we are going to encourage people. You might be called to disciple somebody who just can't learn. And I'm not meaning physically un- and mentally unable to learn. They just won't learn. They keep making the same mistake over and over and over and over and over and over again, whatever that mistake might be. And you're going, and you just want to slap them upside the head. Are you ever going to learn? You, you want to keep doing it over that many times? And you know, God does it with his people. He says, I'm just going to keep giving you the same instruction. God is so patient with us. He's so patient with me. He's so patient with each one of you. He goes, okay, I know you're a slow learner, but let's, keep, let's give you the message one more time. Let's do it again. And then finally we get that one, we get victory over that one, and we go to the next one. <laughs> And hopefully we learn to get faster at, at, at correcting them. But you know, you're gonna, we're going to spend our entire life with God saying, okay, oh, you got that one taken care of? Let's take you to the next issue to deal with. And the sad thing is, the more light he shines in our life, the more we realize how sinful we are. And we've talked about this before, you know. It's pretty easy sometimes to get rid of the big sins, the ones that everybody sees. But how about when he's trying to get rid of those little things in your life, your thought life, your, your thinking patterns? The ones nobody knows. <laughs> they, they don't know that every time you see a car, you want to steal that car because it looks so good. You, know, you, you never do it, but you, know, they, you know, but you think about it. You know, I really want that car. I might be able to get away with it. Or you have really bad lust problems, and you're having to deal with those all the time. Or, you're, or maybe you're somebody who just wants to always lie. And you may not be doing it, but you know, your first instinct is, I'm going to lie. Whatever that is, some of those things that, that God says, okay, I want to work these out of you. I'm going to work this out of you. I'm going to help you correct the way you think. 
That's what we talked about last week. You know, what, what do we think about? You know, the more we think about godly things, the easier the rest of our life is to fill in. The more we spend time in the world stuff, the harder it is to get do things God's way. You know, and we see this. If you spend your entire time doing nothing but watching TV and movies, and then you wonder why you keep falling into sin, you might think about the movies and, and TV you're watching and saying, well, gee, that's what happens on those movies all the time. I'm acting just like what I'm watching all the time. Whatsoever things are pure, <laughs> think on these things. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are, are righteous. So learn. We want to be able to do and walk in the strength of God. And he gives us strength through him. We can do all things through Christ. Do you really want to live a perfect life? Theoretically, we can. If we live in Christ and let him be our strength, we could live a perfect life. Then you could be Elijah and Enoch and go straight to heaven. Mm -hmm. Now, if you could live the perfect life, you'll say, okay, we're close together. Come on up. I don't know that we're ever going to get there. Uh, I don't think I'll ever get there. I'd like to, but I don't think I'll ever get there. But theoretically, we can. How much are we willing to let God run our life? Unfortunately, most of us, myself included, we go, okay, God, I know you've got a really good plan, but I just want to do things my way. I just want to do it my way, God. Uh, then we go, okay, God, help. <laughs> I'm in the middle of the quicksand that I walked right into because I did it my way. I'm, I'm dying, God, help. And we do that so often. So the challenge for us to, today is let's walk with God. Let's keep him in the center of our life. Let's keep our minds focused on what he does. Learn to be content. Oh, and we're uncontent as we make so many bad decisions. Have you ever made a move because your job didn't pay enough and you wanted to make, another, make more money and you found out that the new place wasn't the place to be? And you're going, God, this place is, more, is terrible. I don't like being here. And God says, well, why aren't you where I, where I wanted you in the first place? Well, I thought this was a really good decision. Our memory verse from last month, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. How many times do we make decisions without consulting God? God, uh, I just let, this job's a better job. God says, I think I want you over here in this job. Uh, God, this other place would be a much better place to live. There's no, there's no rain over there. There's no snow. There's no ice. I, I, I want to live there. And God says, no, I want you over here. Now, God's got quite a sense of humor. You know, if I had my way, I'd live up north where we have four seasons. <laughs> my wife wouldn't like it, but I would love to have four seasons. God, you know, he keeps, he's been a really great sense of humor. He's put me in California, here in Arizona, Guam, Hawaii. <laughs> All these places that don't have four seasons. <laughs> and I would be happy to have four seasons. But, you know, learn to be content. Learn to be content where God has put you. And listen to where he wants you. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank for the opportunity. Lord, help us to be strong in you, to learn to be content, to learn to follow you in all, and to be strong in all that you have. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.